Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today's episode of The Serial Dynasty is sponsored in part by Audible. I've had many listeners email and ask me, what exactly is Audible? Audible is an app that you can install on any smartphone or tablet and is a subsidiary of Amazon. When you go to audibletrial.com slash serialdynasty, you can download a free audiobook right to the app on your phone or tablet. Once downloaded, you can listen to your favorite audiobook anytime that you want, just like you would listen to a podcast. The nice part about the app is that you can listen in segments. The app tracks your progress, not only within the device you're listening on, but any other device that you choose to pick up where you left off. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, Audible is giving Serial Dynasty listeners one free audiobook. To receive your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash Serial Dynasty. And as always, I want to thank all of you listeners who have made donations to the program. Those donations have played a large part in offsetting the cost of producing this show. If you are interested in making a donation, just go to our website, SerialDynasty.com, and click the Donate button. Or if you prefer to use PayPal, you can go to our host site, SerialDynasty.Podomatic.com, and click the PayPal Donate button on that site. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to episode 13 of this Serial Dynasty podcast. I'd like to take just a moment here at the beginning of the show to thank you all again for helping to grow this show to a level that I never thought possible when I began the podcast back in May. All of you listeners talking about the Serial Dynasty around the water cooler, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and your reviews on iTunes, and of course sending in all of your thoughts and theories to theories at SerialDynasty.com, have all contributed to help grow this show from the one-man show at the beginning all the way into this massive movement of tens of thousands of people across the world. And I sincerely thank all of you for that. This podcast has gone from a simple place for us to vent our thoughts and theories to a talented team of people from all walks of life in all corners of the globe working together to try and solve the murder of Heyman Lee. Growing a show to this size comes with cost and benefit. More listeners means more downloads, means more bandwidth, which means more cost. I'm only taking this moment to talk about this because I have a special guest on the line that has stepped up to the plate to really help drive this movement forward. The show has gotten large enough that obtaining some solid sponsors has become a necessity to cover the cost of operating the program. This is something that I've struggled with given the serious nature of this show and the subject matter that we're discussing. So as sponsorship offers started to come in, I've had to filter through them and make a determination as to which sponsorship would be worth taking the time out of the program to discuss. After thinking long and hard about this, I decided to ignore some of these offers and reach out to someone who has been a very vocal supporter of the Serial Dynasty since its inception. If I was going to take on a sponsor, it would only be a sponsor who had a passion for what we're doing here. 
and there's one man that stood out above all others. I made contact with Sean T. of Sean T. Fitness. Sean's a guy who is just as obsessed with this case as all of us are. He has a true passion for what we're doing, so much so that starting next week, Sean has agreed to be the exclusive sponsor of the podcast for the next three months. And I've got Sean on the line here now to talk to you all about his feelings on the case and why he decided to sponsor the Serial Dynasty podcast. Hey, what's up, Serial Dynasty fans? This is Sean T. First, I want to say I'm glad that all of you are listening to the Serial Dynasty podcast because I started listening to it because I'm so passionate about this case. So many times when I listen to Undisclosed or when I go back and listen to Serial and then when I turn on Serial Dynasty and I listen to Bob, you know, my mind gets frazzled and crazy because I want to know what happened on January 13th, 1999, I mean, it is just something that just runs through my head. And for those of you who know me as the fitness guy, uh, one of my passions before I got into fitness was um, I always wanted to be a CIA agent and or a Navy SEAL and, you know, just kind of get into the world of law and understanding, you know, crime, you know, just kind of that world. And so when Serial came out, and a friend of mine got me uh, listening to Serial. I, from episode number one with Sarah Koenig, I was hooked. I was hooked. I was hooked. I was hooked. And then, obviously, I followed the case and found uh, the amazing Bob. So, um, you know, I'm just so passionate about this, and I wanted to sponsor this show because I think that us throwing out theories and the more heads that are put together to find out what happened – First and foremost, for Hay and her family, because as if you've listened to all of these podcasts and you've gone down all the rabbit holes with us, you know that what the prosecution says happened did not happen that way. And and so for Hay and her family, we just need to find out what happened for closure and peace. And obviously Adnan, to get Adnan a new trial so that he can have peace in his life and we can all... Um, you know, I think we've all been connected to this case, and I think we've all, I don't know about you guys, but I know I've lost sleep over this, staying up late at night, you know, Googling and searching and Redditing and all this stuff. So that's why, um, you know, I wanted to sponsor this podcast. And to know that Bob and his wife are fans of Sean T <laughs> is really, really cool. Thank you guys for checking out Bob, and, and stay tuned because um, this man has some good things to say. Well, thanks a lot for that, Sean. And yeah, that was the kind of the other half of the equation is that we wanted to choose a sponsor that meant something to us as well. And uh, anybody that's spoken to my wife uh, and asked her how she's got into the incredible shape she's in, I hear her all the time telling people that Sean T changed her life. So this is a wow. great kind of symbiotic relationship. She, a year and a half ago, plugged in T25 and she's never stopped after that. So it's a, it's a kind of a great relationship both ways. If we're taking on a sponsor, it's somebody that we're really passionate about. And you're passionate about what we're doing, and it's just a it's a great relationship, and I can't tell you how much, Sean, that we appreciate what you're doing here. Well, in turn, well, first, tell your wife, congratulations. I'm happy that she found a workout that was able to help her change her body and her life. And um, I'm just happy that I could be a part of the journey. So, um, you know, I'm really happy for you guys. Because, you know, for you, a happy wife is a happy home, you know what I'm saying? That's right. So it's it's really good, and I'm sure her positivity and excitement for her new body um, makes you happy just as well. 
And um, so, yeah, it's great. And, and, you know, my workouts are, I mean, you, you probably see her do it and join in, and you know that a lot of it is, you know, it's the body, but it's also the mind. And a lot of times when I listen to the case, um, Adnan's case, I'm, you know, I think of how mentally strong he has to be, his family, his family, and it's kind of like what I preach even on my podcast, you know, Define Your Life, we talk about um, just how deep you have to dig in your own personal life to get through these triumphs and trials and tribulations. And so just to know that, you know, that's kind of what we're doing here, helping people, you know, find a better life and a happier life, and that's what I do for people in their home. So I think we we have a great connection here. Yeah, I do too. And I'm, again, very thankful for what you're doing. And, and I think this is going to be a great experience going forward. And for those of you that heard, go check out Sean's podcast uh, when you get a minute. And Sean, I know you're on vacation and you're taking a moment to, to chat with me. So I want to let you get back to uh, playing tennis. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it, Bob. And for all you Serial Dynasty listeners, stay tuned. Um, Again, we wanted to sponsor, Shanti Fitness wanted to sponsor uh, this podcast because he's doing amazing things. And, you know, Bob, I want to give you a lot of props, too. I mean, we talk about the prosecution and police officers and, you know, being a fireman, you know, you save a lot of lives, too. So, you know, a big thank you to you. And hopefully people will understand that you, what you're saying and what you're talking about and your passion that you have for this case also is a direct correlation of what you do in your everyday life. So um, that's really, really appreciated. Well, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate that. And I'm sure as the time goes on here, we'll be hearing from you again. Absolutely. And until then, dig deeper. All right. Well, that was great talking to Sean. And I really hope that all of you can maybe give Sean a little shout on Twitter and thank him for what he's doing. I know for a lot of you listening at home, it may not seem like it's that big of a deal, but with an audience this size, the expense to run this podcast is just getting greater and greater and greater, and you all have helped us get to this point through donations and downloading audiobooks. You've helped to manage keep the show above water for the last 12 weeks, and I'm so thankful that Sean was willing to step in and take it from here. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Over the last couple of weeks, I've gotten a few emails that point out the change in tone of the show. And me being the type of person that's very critical of myself, I took some time this week while I was on vacation and went back and listened to all 12 of my own episodes. And in doing so, I realized that these listeners were right. The tone has changed greatly over the last several months. One listener pointed out that at the beginning I was very nice and conversational and fairly easygoing, but over the course of this movement, my tone has changed more to being frustrated, suspicious, accusatory, and even angry. At first, I didn't really know what to think about that. Was this a good thing or a bad thing? But eventually, the conclusion that I came to is that it's not a matter of good or bad. It's not about the entertainment value of the podcast. It's not about whether or not you like me. What this podcast was from the very beginning and continues to be is real. The emotions that you hear from me on this show are what I'm really feeling. I spend my weeks reading through thousands of emails, reading blogs, tweets, Reddit threads, listening to undisclosed, researching points and minute details about the case. Every week I spend several hours formulating an outline for the show. Then I walk out to my studio 
I turn the microphone on, and I begin following that outline. But once I sit in front of this microphone, I just step into my own little world. The emotions that you hear from me as the show progresses are what I'm really feeling. Nothing is scripted, nothing is planned. So I guess in response to these emails, and and by the way, most of the emails weren't negative, they were just pointing out the fact that the tone has changed. But in response to that, what I can promise all of you is, as this show continues on, what you're going to hear episode after episode is the real Bob Ruff. You're going to hear what I really think, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. You're going to hear what I really feel. Now, with that being said, it's important to note that the main content providers behind this show are you, you the listeners. So I guess I just want you to know that regardless of my tone, regardless of my feelings and my emotions on the topic, I have the utmost respect for all of you and your feelings and your emotions and your thoughts and theories, whether they line up with mine or not. Am I angry and frustrated? You bet your ass I am. I've gotten deeper into this case than I ever thought that I would. Over at Undisclosed, Rabia and Susan and Colin just keep uncovering more evidence and more information that just drives me crazy. Every time I think that this case has gotten as bad as it's going to get, another Monday night rolls around, and I find out there's more and more and more. And my frustration is real. For the remainder of the show today, I'm going to be reading listener emails, and there's a lot of good thoughts and theories that have come out in a lot of these emails that I've received this week. So get your pen and paper handy, and let's find out if there's any rabbit holes that we need to run down over the next week. My first email is from Shauna Adams. Shauna writes, Hey, so I'm listening to episode 12, and you talking about Jay admitting to the crime, and why would he incriminate himself if he had nothing to do with it? Surely this is so the police had a backup and have him on tape admitting to the crime, so that even if he changed his mind and didn't go along with their stories, then they had him on tape. So either way, he would have been charged, as surely an admission would get him convicted, considering how they have managed to convict a non. Keep up the excellent work. I love listening to what you're doing, all the way from Glasgow, Scotland. Thanks, Shauna, for sending in that email all the way from Scotland. In my opinion, I have to agree with you on the point that the purpose of the detectives wanting Jay to be on the record, admitting to accessory after the fact, was so that they had something to hold over his head. That most definitely gives them all sorts of leverage as they move forward tweaking his story. So the question comes in as to why would Jay admit to something if he didn't do it. There are lots of opinions out there on that, and everybody has some pretty solid reasons for believing one way or the other. Personally, I don't believe he would admit to being an accessory if he truly had nothing to do with it. There are a few things that have led me to this conclusion. One is the fact that one of the schools of thought as to why Jay would go along with this police corruption and why he would fabricate this whole story is because the police had this disorderly conduct and resisting arrest charge they were holding over him. But what I have a hard time reconciling is if those simple misdemeanor charges were enough to leverage Jay into selling out a non, then I just don't understand why they would need more. And you sort of have to have one to have the other. Meaning if Jay had nothing to do with this, they had to have some sort of leverage. Him admitting to be an accessory certainly became leveraged, but there had to be other leverage before that, which would be the disorderly conduct and resisting arrest charge. So maybe the detectives 
wanted an ace in a hole, a backup plan, and so they trapped him into admitting to be an accessory. Certainly that's possible, but it just seems like one hell of a risk for Jay to take if he really had absolutely nothing to do with this. If my understanding is correct, and you listeners, please email me if I'm incorrect on this, but if my understanding is correct, Jay had no guarantee that he wasn't going to jail. In the deal that he got, he was still charged with accessory after the fact. And I don't believe Jay actually knew what was going to happen to him until the day of the sentencing. And that was left up to a judge to decide what his sentence would be. The audio clip of that sentencing by the judge was played on serial. And you can hear his attorney asking for leniency and no jail time. And the judge agreeing to that and thanking Jay for everything that he did to help solve this case. But through this whole process, Jay had no guarantee that he wasn't going to go to jail. Now, again, I'm not a legal expert, but that's my comprehension of how this went down. He wasn't offered a deal where if he agreed to testify, they would drop the charge or they would drop the charge to some sort of misdemeanor or lesser offense. He was still charged with accessory after the fact of first-degree murder. So it seems like a really gutsy move to me to roll the dice and hope that the judge at the end of the line isn't going to send you to prison. Now, there is another theory about this that I still wrestle with. And that's the fact that it's possible that the detectives coerced and trapped Jay into giving a false confession. That they manipulated him into admitting to this without him realizing exactly what he was doing. And once they'd accomplished this, they had him. Who knows what conversations went on outside of the tapes. There most definitely could have been conversations along the lines of, listen, you're going to tell the story that we're feeding to you or you're going to prison. We have you on tape confessing to accessory after the fact to a first-degree murder. So it's certainly in the realm of possibilities that Jay was coerced and didn't really realize what he was saying or what he was doing. Thank you, Shauna, for sending in that email. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. My next email comes from Mo Norman. Mo says, Bob. I enjoy the podcast. Thank you for conceptualizing the small details that come out each week into likely theories. On this week's episode, you take a pretty firm stance on the theory that Jay was involved in the killing of Hay. This would indicate that you likely don't hold out much hope for the more convenient theories of a killer like Davis or Moore being linked if DNA gets tested. Can you shed some light on why you are leaning that way? And if that is your theory, what are your potential scenarios for a motive? In all the discussions with everyone involved back then, no one has much to say about any potential motive for Jay to kill Hay, even Adnan. 
Just for the record, for so many reasons, I am in the Adnan is innocent camp, which is why I am hoping for a DNA match to a killer as an opportunity for exoneration would be so much cleaner. But then there's Jay. Who in their right mind would put a friend in prison, helping fabricate a story just to beat a drug charge? Then again, I am pretty sure a 19-year-old would do just about anything to avoid a few years behind bars. Anyway, if Jay was involved, I am struggling with motive. One theory I had goes back to a few things I recalled. I remember it being mentioned that Adnan knew Jay was cheating on Stephanie, even stopping her from going to Jay's during an assembly when he knew it was going to be going on to spare her feelings. I would assume Hay could in turn have known. Jen tells police that she's going to see her boyfriend and bring him dinner when she is asked to come in for questioning, but she goes to see Jay. Has anyone commented on who Jay was seeing? Has Adnan mentioned whether this was Jen? Could this be motive? Seems a big jump to murder someone but not more of a jump than at non-killing Hay over their breakup. I wanted to get your thoughts. Thanks, Mo Norman. Thank you, Mo, for the email. You have a few different bullet points here, so I'll just walk through them paragraph by paragraph. You asked if I would shed some light on why I'm leaning towards the fact that Jay was involved and whether or not I think that that means that Davis or Moore weren't and that they're likely not going to be matched with DNA. Well, my answer is sort of two-sided. I do believe Jay was involved, and I've discussed a number of reasons why that is. Of course, last week I mentioned the fact that Jen knew that Hay had been strangled. However, along those lines, I put a lot of feelers out in a lot of different places to get some more input on that, and even that is still questionable. There's still a million different ways that Jen could have gotten that information. Some people told me that it could have come from the detectives. It could have been a rumor. It could have came from a number of different places. I still personally believe the most likely deduction is that Jay told Jen that Hay had been strangled. But that's not the only conclusion we can come to on that. But moving forward, yes, I do believe that Jay was involved. However, I don't necessarily think that Jay was the one who actually murdered Hay. If I had to take a guess or make an assumption as to who I think the most likely suspect is, I actually believe the most likely suspect would be Roy Davis. That's just my opinion, my theory, but in my mind he certainly seems like the most likely candidate. So if we're looking at Roy Davis as the suspect, motive becomes fairly easy in that scenario because we know that he had just committed an almost identical crime on another 18-year-old female from Woodlawn just nine months prior to this. So there's obviously something in Roy Davis that allowed him to make the decision to murder Jada Lambert, so it wouldn't be that far of a leap to think that that same motive would exist for Heyman Lee. As far as Ronald Lee Moore goes, I don't know a whole lot about Ronald Lee Moore. I know that he was a serial killer. I know that he was released and was in the area during the time when Hay went missing. But those are the only real connections that I'm aware of with Ronald Lee Moore. Certainly that doesn't mean that we could rule him out, but I just, I don't have any evidence to point me in the direction to think that he's a likely suspect. So then we go back to the connection between Roy Davis and Jay. There could be any number of ways that the two of them were connected. It's documented that both of them were in the drug trade, so to speak, so they could have crossed paths that way. I believe that Roy Davis had some family members that went to school with Jay, or at least were in the same school as Jay at the same time. I don't know. I'm not sure how that connection would work. But in my mind, if I'm speculating, and that's what I'm going to do is speculate, I think that a very likely scenario 
would be that Hay came across Jay and Roy Davis. Roy did what Roy does, murders her, and maybe leaves Jay to clean up the mess. Unlike Anon, Roy is a character that it seems would strike fear into Jay. He would be someone he would be afraid of. He would be somebody that he would lie to protect out of fear for himself or his family or his girlfriend. And with all of the information floating out there right now, that just seems like the most likely scenario in my mind. Another theory that gets thrown around a lot and emailed to me quite a bit, and actually it was my kind of initial theory back in episode two, was that possibly Jay and Jen were having an affair, Hay interrupted them doing something, and the two of them murder her to shut her up. And this just goes to show how as new information comes out and we have new evidence, things sort of morph in our minds, or at least in my mind. After listening to Serial, I was nearly 100% convinced that that was the scenario. Now, looking back on it, I don't think that was the case. I don't think Jen was there when Hay was murdered. I think that Jay was involved, and I think Jay confided in Jen, and I think that Jen was helping Jay take care of things after the fact, somewhat due to necessity given the fact that Jay doesn't own a car. But this scenario just doesn't pan out in my mind anymore. If Jen and Jay killed Hay somewhere between 2.30 and 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, or certainly she was abducted before 3.15 in the afternoon when she was supposed to pick up her cousin, then why is Jay calling Jen's house at 3.21? Some speculate that maybe they were calling her brother for help, her 15-year-old brother Mark, but that just doesn't add up to me either. If they were both there, the two of them could certainly handle on their own moving the body and disposing of it without involving another third person. And also, like you mentioned, it just... It seems very thin for motive to murder somebody for catching a couple of teenagers having an affair. This wasn't a married man with a wife and a home and a kids where he was going to lose everything if his wife found out. This was a 19-year-old kid dating a high school girl. And you drew the parallel to that motive compared to Adnan's motive of murdering Hay over a breakup, and I think that is equally as ridiculous. Hope that answered your questions, Mo, and thank you again for sending in the email. All right, now this next email I found really intriguing, and I don't really have the answers to it, but I want to read it for all of you listeners, hoping that some of you can maybe chase this down and send in your thoughts on Marissa's email. So this email comes from Marissa Winship of North Carolina. Marissa writes, Hi, Bob. Episode 12 was great as usual. Despite the obvious evidence of detectives feeding Jay parts of his story, I still think he was likely involved with Hay's murder. However, I've been bothered by the fact that Jay's stories about burying Hay don't seem to match the autopsy report and physical evidence at the crime scene. No mention of the rope, bottle, or rocks placed on the body. But digging through Jay's police interview, I found some interesting stuff. In his second official interview on March 15th on page 32, Jay has asked how Hay's body was placed in the hole he and Adnan had dug. He says, quote, Hay's laying in the hole with her head facing away from, on her, on her stomach, face down with her arms behind her back. Holy shit. While this is inconsistent with how Hay's body was positioned when it was found, it is totally consistent with the lividity report right down to the lividity pattern on the side of her face. Then on page 34 he says, quote, I just couldn't throw dirt on top of her. I just couldn't do it. 
Perhaps Jay is being truthful here. After murdering Hay, or witnessing it, Jay and an accomplice quickly drove Hay's car with the body in it, though maybe not in the trunk, to Leakin Park and simply laid her on the ground somewhere near where she was eventually found. Jay, however, cannot bring himself to actually bury her and leaves her there where she is soon covered with snow and ice from the storm. There's more. If we go back to Jay's first official interview on February 28th, Jay says Hay was buried on her right side, which is of course how she was found, but in contradiction to Lividity and his second interview. But what if both of these versions are partially true? On page 25, Jay claims that in, quote, another conversation, he, meaning Adnan, wanted me to revisit the body with him. He continues on page 27, quote, he just, he said, you got to take me back there, um, I need to cover it more. Now this makes absolutely no sense. Why would Adnan ask Jay, who does not have a car, to take him anywhere? Jay, however, may very well have asked his accomplice this question. What if Jay went back to the crime scene several days later to finish the job? He could have dragged her body to the hollow under the tree, causing her shirt and bra to be pushed up. Maybe he used the rope to drag her. That is why Jay never mentioned the rope or the rocks on her body, because he cannot admit to the second solo trip to the burial site. This is, to me, why Jay's story about the burial, aside from shoehorning a non into it, gets so muddled and confused. He's describing parts of two different events. Furthermore, this could explain why Jen says it was raining the day that she took Jay to dump his clothes. Because it really was raining. I checked the weather, and it rained on January 18th on and off all day. The 17th was quite a warm day, high of 55. So maybe Jay was worried that the melting snow would expose Hay's body. This could be the day he went back. This still would have given the dirt on her burial site time to settle and look undisturbed by February 9th. I think this scenario is plausible. Oh, and I don't think Jen is Jay's accomplice in the burial. Probably Phil, Patrick, or a family member. You just don't ask a sorority girl to help you carry a dead body. Oh, and I think the police intentionally disposed of the rope found near Hay's body. But that's an email for another day. Marissa Winship from North Carolina. Thank you, Marissa, for digging deeply into the weeds and coming up with a theory that I think is also very plausible. I'd like to see that theory sort of meshed up with some of the discussion on Undisclosed about Mr. S's statements about finding the body and the ground seeming to be freshly disturbed. When, as we know from the surveyor's remarks and notes who disinterred Hay's body, that the ground was not freshly disturbed. The idea here being that it's possible that Mr. S actually discovered Hay's body at an earlier date and either went back on February 9th or decided on February 9th to actually report the body that was found. So some of you uber-intelligent, home-sleuthing listeners, see what you can do with that and shoot me some emails about your theories and how you think this plays out. Thank you again, Marissa. Great email. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? 
Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. My next email comes from Brandy. Brandy writes, Hey Bob, love the podcast. About the cell phone towers. I am the same age as Adnan and I had AT&T in high school. Here's my story about AT&T and their towers. I'm from Nashville and I graduated in 2000. I went to college in Bowling Green, Kentucky. My sister, also my guardian, called me at school one day and absolutely chewed my behind. She wanted to know why I was skipping school and going to Louisville. I said that I did not. She said that on the bill, it listed where the phone had been used and that it showed that it had been in Louisville. I had not. I told her this and she didn't believe me, so she called AT&T and this is what they told her. The cell tower in Bowling Green was under repair, so they were rerouting all calls through the nearest available tower. She went on to say that the location on the bill did not necessarily reflect where the caller was. I had not been in Louisville, and the only thing that really convinced my sister was that all my calls had gone through that tower for like four straight days, and she thought I may have gone for a day trip, but she knew I wasn't gone, nor would I go for that long. This was in the fall of 2000. I'm assuming it is possible that the calls from Adnan's phone could have been rerouted through other towers if the one nearest to him were busy or in need of repair. Just a thought, keep up the great work, Brandy. Thank you for sending that email in, Brandy, and I'll tell you that I am chomping at the bit. I can't wait until tomorrow night's episode of Undisclosed, where Susan Simpson is going to be dissecting the cell phone evidence. I've read quite a bit about it, and I've read through some of Susan's blog posts and some other information, and I'm starting to get a little bit of an understanding about it, but Susan is most definitely the expert on these cell records, and it sounds like tomorrow night is going to be the night when she's going to spill the beans. But for now, thank you, Brandy, for sending that in. Your story is a handy little piece of information to have as we look forward to tomorrow night's episode of Undisclosed. My next email comes from Michael, the subject line, Why Adnan Has to Be Innocent. We now know that the night before Adnan was arrested, he heard from Stephanie that Jay was talking to the police. Four or five hours later, the police burst into his house, cuffed him, and took him to the station whereupon Adnan waived his right to an attorney and was interrogated for six hours, during which time he did not confess and did not even reveal anything incriminating or even noteworthy, at least as far as the police were concerned. To me, that is case closed, that he is innocent. Imagine for a minute that this 17-year-old honor student was in fact guilty. Late one night, the day after the police showed up and spoke to him about the murder, he hears that his co-conspirator is downtown talking to the police. If he's guilty, then he knows that the jig is up right then. Do his subsequent actions make any sense whatsoever in that scenario? Okay, so maybe his first reaction would be denial, and he goes to bed panicked and hoping it is all some kind of mistake. Except that early the next morning, he literally gets a rude awakening. He's woken up handcuffed, hauled down to the station for questioning, and then he waves his right to an attorney and says nothing incriminated during a six-hour interrogation. Those are not the actions of a high school honor student who has just committed a murder. Had he been guilty, he would have either demanded a lawyer and said nothing, or waived the lawyer and confessed or accused Jay. 
it's inconceivable that Adnan would have acted as he did if he had in fact been guilty. I do still wonder about all of the coincidences. If Adnan doesn't offer his car to Jay, is he a free man today? Is Hay alive? There is probably some set of facts that we don't know that makes it all seem obvious and straightforward. I hope those facts are still out there to be found. Thanks for emailing, Michael, and I have to say, I, I agree with you. And I know it's just my opinion, but one thing a lot of us tend to lose sight of is just the practicality of what was happening. It seems that to entertain a theory that Adnan planned and killed Hay, we have to believe that he's a very intelligent criminal mastermind in order for the timelines that have been presented to fit. But on the same token, if he's this great criminal mastermind, I don't see how he would have acted this way. He's smart enough to plan and follow through and commit a murder in a seemingly impossible window of time, coordinate with another person to manage to create alibis for himself throughout the night, then completely hold himself together for six weeks during Hay being missing, her body being found, questioning by police, news stories, and during this time, no one ever sees any indication out of him that he's feeling guilty, that he's worried for himself, anything like that. This would take a pretty savvy criminal to pull this off. And yet then we have to believe that this criminal mastermind knows that his co-conspirator is being interrogated by the police. He gets picked up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he's not smart enough to even ask for a lawyer, to not speak at all. He talks and talks and talks for six hours, and there's nothing there. Anyone that has any idea of how the criminal justice system works knows that if you actually did this, and Jay was actually your co-conspirator, that you better come up with a plan. If he and Jay had actually done this, the way that Jay said it went down, he knows Jay was talking to the police. He knows Jay led them to the car. They were telling him that Jay had already confessed. What criminal mastermind just keeps declaring innocence? We know as adults that you would not be walking out of that scenario. You're not walking out of that police station. You are proverbially backed into a corner at that point. You have to do something. You confess. You blame Jay. You claim you were the accessory and he was the murderer. You blame someone else. You ask for a plea. Certainly, again, ask for that lawyer. But Anand doesn't do any of that. He just talks and talks and talks. And they get nothing out of him. Because in my opinion, he had nothing to give them. Thanks again, Michael. I think you make a great point here. Now for our last email of the day. This one comes from Chris Johnson. And it's a long email and he discusses several different points. But there's one paragraph in particular that I want to read today. In the third paragraph of his email, Chris writes, With regards to Jay, I think there are many good reasons to believe he was involved in some way and they were well pointed out in this episode. One theory I have about this, however, is that Jay only implicated Adnan because the police let it be known that's who they suspected. What I believe is that Jay was uncooperative at the beginning of the interviews because he believed he was the top suspect, and perhaps rightfully so, and that when he realized the police were focusing on Adnan, he saw an opportunity to get himself off the hook, and he went with it. If there is another person involved that Jay is privy to, why would he implicate Adnan? Why would he implicate Adnan at all, in fact, when he could implicate any number of people? I would imagine that given the lifestyle Jay seems to have had at that time, he would have had several people to choose from, perhaps even someone who was a thorn in his side. But he implicates a completely innocent person. Why? Perhaps more investigation into the people Jay called his friends is in order. 
If he's willing to send an innocent person to jail, who is he protecting? Himself? It's pretty clear he cared about protecting Jen with his, quote, send the cops to me statement. If being a snitch in Baltimore is something you just don't do, is the killer someone who would retaliate against Jay and or his friends and family? Jay is going to continue to be a suspect in many of our minds because he's a proven liar, because he does seem to be looking out for himself only, and because he's clearly shady. Thank you, Chris, for sending this in. And I think that you hit the nail right on the head. Why would Jay implicate Adnan? Because the cops implicated Adnan. We know from Adnan's statements that during his interview with the police, or his interrogation after he'd been arrested, that they were leaning heavily on him, that they were giving him false facts, along with some true ones. They told him Jay had confessed. They told him that Jay had given the whole story. They also threw some other things out there to try to lean him into coming clean, but they also lied to him about a lot of evidence that they didn't have, hoping to put enough pressure on him that he'd crack. I personally have no reason to believe that they didn't do the same thing to Jay. Imagine during that unrecorded portion of the interview that they're hammering away at Jay. They're telling him, we already know what happened. We know you did it. We have this evidence. And then they let slip, we already know Adnan did it. We have all this evidence. Just come clean or you're going down with him. Now imagine you're Jay sitting there hearing this. If you were involved, you're scared to death. They've got you right in their crosshairs. They're hammering away at you. You think that any minute the hammer's going to drop and they're going to present the smoking gun that proves that you were involved in this murder. And then you hear the magic words. We know that Anon did it. I remember this portion of the interview was not recorded. All we have are notes. And what we have in the handwritten notes is out of the blue... Jay saying, okay, I come clean. Now, of course, I don't know what happened leading up to that, but I've always thought that just doesn't make sense. If you read the notes, it seems like Ritz and McGillivary are kind of going along with what he's telling them. They're just getting the information that he's giving them, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, okay, I come clean. That never sat right with me. I picture in my mind and my imagination Ritz and McGillivary leaning across the table, telling him those magic words, we know Adnan did it, and we know you helped him, and you better come clean right now, or you're going away for life, or you're going to face the death penalty. And Jay responds, okay, okay, I come clean, because he had heard the magic words, that Adnan was their suspect, not him. And down the road we go from there. Consider the fact that Jay's on record several times saying that you just don't snitch in Baltimore. Well, why would he say you just don't snitch in Baltimore? Why would he make clear that that was something that was ingrained in his mind when he was, in fact, snitching? He was doing the thing that he stated is something that you just don't do. Why would he say that? Could it be because he wasn't snitching? He wasn't snitching on his co-conspirator in this murder. He was throwing a smart, privileged friend under the bus to keep with the code and protect the one that actually killed Heyman Lee. Thank you for downloading this week's episode of The Serial Dynasty. 
please continue to spread the word about the show. Let everyone know what we're trying to do here and that this army always needs more soldiers. Before I close things out today, I want to make a recommendation for another podcast. This is a podcast that was brought to my attention on Twitter by several listeners. The podcast is called the Generation Y Podcast. And on this podcast, every week, the guys talk about some conspiracy, old true crime, things of that nature. But on this week's episode that will drop tomorrow night, Monday, the same day as Undisclosed Episode 8, they're going to be discussing the murder of Heyman Lee. So I'm really looking forward to listening to it, and if you're looking for something to pass the time and you're just looking to get your serial fix, check out the Generation Y podcast tomorrow night, Monday. And of course, don't forget to download Episode 8 of Undisclosed tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. I want to give a special thanks to Johnny Rose for creating all of the music for the show. And thanks to Tate Krupa for creating our logo. And until next week, this has been The Serial Dynasty. Serial Dynasty.